Cool. Hey guys, it's great to see you all. Let's move this back in case I trip over or something. Fantastic. Wow, it's great to see you all. Um, as has already been said, my name's John. It's my pleasure and privilege to speak to you guys this morning. And we're going to be continuing our Sing series. I'm going to start by praying and then we're going to dive in. So Lord, I just thank you for your word. That we have it to instruct us, to lead us, to guide us, to help us know you more. And so I pray that you'd help me to do all those things today. To point to you, to help us to know you more as we look into this stuff today. Amen. Right, I'm going to start with this statement. Singing is meaningless. It's pointless. It's worthless. That's not really what you expected me to say after six weeks of a sing series, is it? But I'm going to show you why I think that is and also why I think singing can be meaningful for us. So don't worry, I haven't just trashed the whole of the series. This isn't, this isn't a mic drop moment, like, that's it, I'm off. Um, so we've reached the end of the series, it's been said. Um, we've had six weeks of teaching and you may have been here for all of it, some of it, or none of it. It doesn't really matter though because I'm going to recap what we've been through so far. So if you were here, cast your mind back to July. I know it seems a long time ago when the sun was shining and it wasn't so grey and cloudy. And Tony kicked off our series and he said, we're created to sing. We're compelled to sing because of who God is and we're to sing honestly. And also he mentioned something about Fulham being promoted to the premiership, I think. I vaguely remember that. Then Tom took us through, we're to sing with our hearts and our minds, that singing sustains us, that it carries the truths from Sunday into Monday, that we sing the gospel, and that it reminds us of the gospel, but also that singing is a relationship, that we sing to God and not to a pot plant. John took us through that we sing with those we share our lives with, that we let scripture dwell richly in us, And that this should come through in the songs we sing. That we should engage our emotions as we sing. And that we should listen and sing truth. My beautiful wife, Rach, she she took us through singing creates, as we sing together, it creates unity in the body. That the church should sing. That we should expect God's presence as we sing. That we should sing his God God news, his good news. Um, That as the church sings, it's our battle cry. Oh, church, arise. And Phil, last week, took us through singing as our witness. And I really enjoyed Phil talking about his personal testimony of, I didn't really understand why we sang. It just seemed like an optional extra to me of a meeting. But actually, the more I trusted in God, the more I believed in God, he was saying that he realized, no, I I should sing. This, This should come through in the things that I sing. And also he told a testimony of how at his wedding, the thing that really struck the non-Christians he had there, his friends from work, was actually when people were singing. The truths that they sang, they sang them wholeheartedly, and it really struck them that this wasn't just some optional extra. This wasn't something, this was their witness. Like, this is us. As we sing, as people see that, they see, we mean this. We believe this. This is truth that we're singing. And we, so we sing the gospel. We sing to mission. So we've covered a lot of ground over these six weeks. But today is all about a question. Will you sing? But I'm going to start with a different question. And I need your help with this. So can someone give me a book of the Bible where we see an example of a song or songs or singing? Fantastic. Psalms. Brilliant. 
That's the, the, you know, the default one you go to, Psalms. It's a book full of songs. And that's fine. That is right. I, I, that's the, the default one I had. It makes sense. It's naturally the one we think of. But singing is actually throughout the Bible. It's actually the more you look into it, you see that pretty much every book of the Bible is full of songs. Somehow there's a song or there's singing or there's singers or there's rejoicing. Throughout the Bible, there's worship. And I'm going to take us briefly through where we see that in the Bible. So bear with me. In Exodus, we see Moses and Miriam sing a song of celebration and thanksgiving, praising God through taking them through the Red Sea. In Numbers, all of Israel joins in singing about a well. They were thirsty. In Deuteronomy, as he hands over to Joshua, Moses teaches Israel a song. As he hands over, he teaches them a song to comfort them in the trials that are to come. In Joshua, Jericho was brought down. The walls came down by worship. In Judges, Deborah and Barak sing a song of thanks to God for giving them victory, which incidentally came via a tent peg. In 1 Samuel, Hannah gives thanks to God. They're singing to celebrate David slaying Goliath. In 2 Samuel, the ark is returned with singing, and David sings a song of thanks, praising God for his deliverance. In 1 Kings, we're told that Solomon wrote over a thousand songs. In 1 Chronicles, David appoints singers, such as Asaph, who Rach covered in her talk, and sings a song of thanks to God. In 2 Chronicles, Joash is appointed king with singing. In Ezra, the temple is rebuilt, and they sing, for the Lord is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. In Nehemiah, at the dedication of the wall, they sing. In Esther, when God saves the Jews, the whole city of Susa rejoices. In Psalms, we've already heard it, it's full of songs. In Job, it says, God says to Job, where were you when the morning stars sang together? All of creation sings. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, it talks of rejoicing and not trivializing songs. Song of Solomon is full of romantic songs. Isaiah says, sings, the Lord is my strength and song, and says, shout and sing for joy. Jeremiah, the people sing, the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. In Joel, it talks about rejoicing. In Amos, it talks of songs. In Habakkuk, it says, in the midst of disappointment, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. In Zephaniah, it tells us that God sings over us. In Zechariah, it says, sing and rejoice, for I dwell in your midst, says your God. And moving into the New Testament, Matthew, at the Last Supper, they sang a hymn. That includes Jesus. In Luke, Mary sings what's called the Magnificat, praising God for giving her Jesus and echoing, actually, what Hannah does in 1 Samuel. In Acts, Paul and Silas sing worship songs whilst in prison. Hang on a minute. Let's just wait for everyone to take. Whilst in prison, amongst hardened criminals, they're singing worship songs. That's, that's actually amazing. When you, we can easily skip over these things, but that is amazing. They're, they're amongst hardened criminals. They're singing worship songs. In Romans, Paul quotes Psalms. He says, I'll praise you and sing to your name. In 1 Corinthians, it says, I'll sing with my spirit. In Ephesians, it says, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. In Colossians, it says, sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. In Hebrews, he quotes Psalm 22. In James, it says, if anyone's happy, let them sing songs of praise. And finally, Revelation is filled with worship and singing. And we're going to end up there today, but we're going to get to that later. The Bible is full 
of singing. So will you sing? You see, we should sing because it's important to God. We see that in the fact that it's referenced so much in the Bible, but also in two specific references that I mentioned is God singing. So first of all, we're going to look at Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. That's amazing. The God of the universe sings over you. He sings over you. God sings over you. He sings over us. That's an incredible truth. And then in Matthew 26, 30, at the Last Supper, Jesus sings a hymn. With his disciples, one of the very last things he does, he eats with them, he sings with them, he then goes to pray, he gets arrested and goes to the cross. Jesus prioritizes fellowship with his disciples, singing with his disciples, and then praying. And we should imitate Jesus. We should prioritize fellowship, we should prioritize singing, and we should prioritize praying. We never graduate from singing. God sings. This isn't something we do and then we go on to something else. No, we should sing because God sings. So will you sing? This is what we were made to do. We were made to worship. The Westminster Catechism, for those of you who don't know what a catechism is, which is probably most of us because I have no idea what it was until I, I looked it up. It's not a cat that's split in two. It's, the catechism is basically a summary of teaching. So you've got this long bit of teaching. It's basically a summary of it in question and answer form. And the very first question is, what is the chief end of man? What's our purpose? Why are we here? And the catechism answers like this. It says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We're to glorify God and make much of him. That's why we're here. That's the reason we exist, is to glorify God and make much of him. Why do we worship? Why do we sing? Why do we do what we do? It's to glorify God and to make much of him. And we should do that with our whole being. We should be passionate worshippers. Now, I know that can be hard for us. Like, I've grown up in a reserved British culture It's hard for us at times to express emotion, let alone joy and praise, but we should. If we really believe what we're singing, we should express it with our hearts and our minds. Now, I'm not talking about doing a knee slide down the middle as if you've scored the winning goal in the FA Cup. I did a knee slide last night at a wedding and it hurt my knee. (laughs) I've got carpet burn. Carpet is definitely not the place to do a knee slide, just so you know. But we should be passionate. We should be passionate in expressing our emotions. We should sing honestly and earnestly, and this should be a safe place to worship. I've had times when I've come away where my jaw has hurt because I've just been smiling so much in God's presence. But I've also had times when I've come away with tears in my eyes because I've just been crying in God's presence. We should express our emotions to God. Now, I started by saying singing is meaningless. And I want you to understand why I said that 
and how it can be meaningful for us. See, there's a book in the Bible called Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes starts with the phrase, it's meaningless. Everything is meaningless. It's not the most upbeat and encouraging start, but it's wisdom literature. It's written to help us, to instruct us, to guide us, to lead us. And it's written with King Solomon as its source. And it says, life is like chasing after the wind. I don't know if you can understand what that means. Like, you're chasing after something that you're never going to catch. The wind blows and you can never catch. I mean, it's hard enough to catch a carrier bag when it blows in the wind, isn't it? Have you ever had that? Like, chasing after the wind. You're chasing after something you're never going to catch. And it says, life is like that. We can spend our whole lives trying to find contentment in the things of this world. But it's just chasing after the wind. It's ultimately, it ends up fruitless. So you can have all the money. You can have the career, the family, the house, the fancy car, the latest tech. But ultimately, it's not going to satisfy you. I don't know if you've ever noticed that you buy something and you get that nice feeling, oh, it's great, I've got this new thing. And then it fades. Sometimes quite quickly, it just fades. And, and you feel like, oh, no, I need something else to fill that hole. Or you get to a point in your life, you feel like, I just feel like I've just got it right. I've just got everything perfectly balanced. I'm just, yeah, it's just right. And then something happens and you're like, oh, I'm chasing it again. Or you just start to feel content in who you are and that gray hair comes. <laughs> or that spot comes on your face. And you're like, oh, I was just happy. <laughs> ah. You see, one day, our time is going to run out. Death is going to come. Then what's left? I want to argue if there's nothing, then why sing? If this is all there is, then why sing? But we know there's not nothing. If you're a Christian here, you know there is not nothing. Our hope isn't anchored here, it's anchored into eternity. We know that there is meaning when we sing because there's something more than this. Philippians 3 verse 20 tells us this. It says, brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You are a citizen of heaven. This, this is temporary. This is fading, but that eternal thing will never fade. That's what we're living for. We're not living for here. See, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17, 16, 16 to 18 says this. In the context of suffering, it says, Therefore, 
Do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You see, I'm so grateful that this isn't all there is. There's some good things in this life, but there's also some messed up things. You see, suffering hurts. It's painful. For me and Rach, like going through infertility for the last seven years has been a difficult thing. There's been ups and downs. There's been really hard moments in that. And even now, there's difficult choices that we have to make in the light of that, and it's hard. And I know many of you here have experienced your own sufferings, your own challenges of life and difficulties. It's not easy. At times, this life is really hard. And I know at times it doesn't feel light and momentary. But compared to eternity, it is. And scripture tells us, thankfully, this is only temporary. And it helps us to dream of hope. Of a place where one day all hurt and pain will cease. And he will wipe the tears from our eyes. You see, God has first-hand experience of suffering. He saw his creation breaking apart. He saw the, thing, the people he created worshipping not the creator, but the things they created. He saw sin cause endless suffering. He saw man turn against all that God had made. And he stepped in, took the punishment for our sin, became the lamb that was slain. Why? So that we might know him. So that one day we would know no more suffering. So that we would enjoy him and glorify him forever. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12 says this. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Or as through a glass darkly it sometimes says. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. You see, what we see now, this life is just a pale reflection of what we will one day see. See, the best bits of this life are just a foretaste of what is to come. And the worst bits are going to pass away. Ecclesiastes reminds us that it's all temporary. It's fading, it's fleeting. Solomon, you see, he had it all. He had hundreds of wives. I'm not sure whether that's a great thing or not, but he had lots of money. But he found everything was meaningless compared to knowing God. You see, we can fool ourselves that there's so much to live for in this world, but on the other side of it, we find there's only one thing worth living for. Our hope isn't built here. It isn't built on these foundations. And that changes everything. It should change everything. 
the way we act, our giving, the way we think about others, and yes, the way we sing. It should change everything. And I'll be honest with you, I don't always get this right myself. I'm, as I'm speaking to you, trying to challenge you on this, I'm challenging myself on it. Even as I was preparing for this talk, I kept getting distracted by the things of life, different things that kind of draw you in. For me, often that's computer games. And I know even saying it, it's the most temporary thing ever. I could show you all my achievements on Championship Manager <laughs> and then you realise it's not reality. This is a battle for us. And for you it might be something different. I hope it is something different. But, <laughs> but we face this battle daily. Whatever it is that you face it with, we face this battle to focus not on the things of this earth, the temporary fading things of this life, but on the eternal things of heaven. Because what matters isn't the temporary fading things of this world, but the eternal throne room of God. So why do we sing? How can singing be meaningful for us? Well, Revelation gives us a glimpse of what is to come. See, Revelation 7, verse 9 to 12 says this. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all the tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, palm branches in their hands, and crying with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing before the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. We're going to join with them. If you know God, you're part of that picture. You're part of the multitude. Worshipping the Lamb. We get to join with that multitude. And what we do here on a Sunday is a glimpse of what one day will be. Where we will be with him forever. Glorifying him and enjoying him forever. We will sing then, so we should sing now. Will you sing? You see, we don't need to wait for eternity to sing. One of the opening lines of the film Gladiator is that what we do in life echoes in eternity. And Ecclesiastes has already told us that, it tells us, sorry, that eternity has already begun. He's put eternity in the hearts of man. For you right now, eternity has begun. So we should glorify God and enjoy him forever. Beginning now. C.S. Lewis said this. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who fought most of the next. It's since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this. 
Where are your thoughts? What are you setting your mind on? What are you living for? What is your hope anchored in? Is it the things of this world or is it in eternity? And how does that change what you do right now? We're drawing to a close, so we're going to look at the final chapter to see another glimpse of what is to come. Revelation 22, verse 1 to 5 says this. This is where we're going. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. C.S. Lewis again puts it like this. For them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world, all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one has ever, on earth has ever read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. This is what we're living for. This is where our hope is. This is where our home is, ultimately. Will you sing? Because we will sing forever. Because heaven's throne room awaits. Because one day we'll join with the angels and all the saints who've gone before. We will join the heavenly throng singing holy, holy, holy. Worthy is the Lamb. In the light of his glory, his grace, what else can we do? When we see Jesus, when we see the lion ruling in all authority, we can only worship his sovereignty his power. And when we see Jesus, we see the Lamb who in all humility gave everything up. And we're reminded that his blood shed redeemed us from the power of sin, ransomed us from captivity, rescued us from the miry pit, and has restored us back to the Father. What else can we do but worship, but adore him? If Dave was here, he'd say, you can look happy about this. And if James was here, he'd say, the best is yet to come. And they're both right, so it's all right. Will you sing? When we see God for who he is, for what he's done, how can we do anything else but sing? See, when we see God and what he's done, it compels us to sing. Heart, soul, and mind. And as we sing of truth, it reminds us again of who God is. It leads us to want to share this good news with others, with those in our lives, with those in the church, and those outside the church. This singing unites us. It unites the church. One common purpose. As we sing, we glorify the King of Kings. And one day we'll be united with every tribe, every tongue, a picture of God's diverse creation, a creation he laid down his life to save. 
and we will not stop singing. Even when we've been there 10,000 years, even when we've sung 100 billion times, it will never be enough to praise him for who he is, for what he's done. Our singing will never stop. We'll never stop singing his praise. What a joy we have awaiting us. If I can invite the band to come back up. Why don't you guys stand, actually? We're going to respond. We've had six weeks of teaching about singing. So will you sing? Of course, part of what we're going to do now is sing. But I believe God wants more than just our singing in response. There's an old Matt Redmond song called The Heart of Worship, and he says... I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself isn't what you've required. You search much deeper within. Through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. And I believe God wants to speak into our hearts this morning. He wants to say, in the light of eternity, what are you going to change? What changes for you when you see this eternal picture? There may be some things that he, as we sing, that he wants to speak to you about. That he wants to prompt you about. There may be some things that he wants you to stop doing or to start doing. Or some things that you're doing that he says, actually, I want you to do more of that. But as we sing, let's listen for God's voice. He wants to speak to you. He wants your heart. And it may be that you're here and you don't know God. There's an opportunity for you to know him today. You can know that your hope isn't anchored here, but into eternity. We'd love to pray with you. We're going to sing. We're going to sing because the Bible is full of singing. We're going to sing because God sings. We're going to sing because we are to make much of him. And we're going to sing now because we're going to sing forever. So will you sing?